Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. My name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 241, February 1989 issue on sale October 18th of 1988. Cover price of a dollar. This one's titled Fan the Flames. On the cover of this, you have Madeline Pryor in her full Goblin Queen outfit. She's got a couple of goblins underneath her cape who I think are Mr. and Mrs. Gray. Probably, yeah. And then below her is Nastir holding out the baby, and the text on the cover says, uh, well, it says, at last, the startling secret of Madeline Pryor. But then below the baby, it says, a son for the Goblin Queen. So this is a uh, similar layout to the previous cover of issue 240, where you have multiple rows of the players in the comic book. Yeah, what I didn't say about issue number 240 is it kind of looked like a throwback to Giant Size X-Men number one, but just with the villains. Oh, yeah. Kind of. Um, this has similar elements, I mean, similar symmetry anyways. Uh, people aren't busting out of the page like the last issue, but it's, you know, Madeline squarely in the middle. She's got people flanked to her left and her right, and then below her is another thing that's happening. It's it's a competent cover. It's not bad. Tree's Inferno thing. This will continue through oh. Uncanny Issues, Uncanny X-Men Issues of Inferno. Wait a minute. This similar layout. Uh, is the flame above the word Inferno, is it larger this month than it was last month? In 240, just the letter I has flames on it. And in 241, I-N-F-E all have flames over it. And then in 242, it gets more and... What about what about the um, um, Inferno logo over X Factor? Are those at different lengths? I don't know. I'm trying to <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to jump ahead of uh, X X Men comics here. I guess I guess Uncanny is only three parts. Well, I'm just wondering for some reason. I'm just wondering if like uh, if if 240 is just the I, is uh, X Factor 39 or whatever issue is that I N? So New Mutants number 73 is all of Inferno. Okay. Uh, New X-Factor 37 is I-N-F-E. Okay. Which is the same as 241. All right. I thought there was something clever on here where I didn't notice all these years and you could put together like the the chapters of Inferno by just looking at the flames. That would have been a cool thing. Uh, it's They sort of went there, but not quite as, as what you're thinking of. Right, like right. each letter would be... Uh, the next chapter would have a di- an additional letter put down. That would have been pretty neat. Yeah. yeah Although anyways. because these are so intertwined, I don't know if it would have worked. Right. A lot of things are happening simultaneously. But yeah, it seems like all the January issues just have the I and all the February issues have the INFE and so on and so forth. In the little Marvel box above the price and the date, uh, we have a little image of Mr. Sinister. Yeah, he's he's fairly important in this issue. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we open this thing up, and it is Inferno Part the Second, and it's um, Madeline with Nastir, Mr. and Mrs. Grey Goblins, uh, confronting Mr. Sinister. It's the same dialogue as the last page of the last issue. You have a name, chum. Most refer to me as Nis- Mr. Sinister. But you, Madeline Pryor, my pride, 
My first and foremost joy may call me dot, 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 father dot. I want to know how this costume of Madeline's passed the editors. <laughs> it's just, it's ridiculous. This was the 80s, man. This is like, you know, we're about to hit the 90s. So, I mean, we have, we have, it's only going to get worse. We have bottom boob exposed, top boob. I mean, the, this this costume just in all practical cases wouldn't work. Like, I would be okay if, like, the little upside down triangle went down below her breasts and it was just like a, the top portion was just black uniform and then there was a lot of, like, stomach and legs exposed. But with what they've got going on here, it's it's just borderline naked woman. I bet you some cosplayer somewhere has made this outfit work. Oh, my God. I want to meet that cosplayer. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> Hi, my name are Boobs. I mean, uh, <laughs> Boobs. I mean, uh, I have to go over here now. Anyways, yeah. So uh, she, she, Madeline, she's like, what do you mean by that, devil? And he strokes his little painted on triangle black patch, which I guess is a goatee, and says, hmm, the devil, perhaps I am. Although your companions certainly look the part. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> I am the one who brought you into being. And she's just the voice we're going with for Sinister. I don't know. It, it just <laughs> With him like doing his little Dracula beard stroke there, it... It kind of harkened that voice out of me. Because I don't know that oh. we have a voice for uh, Mr. Sinister. Well, may, maybe he is a Dracula. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, and Madeline, she's not having any part of this. She calls him a liar, and she zaps him with her Zam powers. And she says, you're the mastermind behind the Marauders. I don't know how she knows that. Does anybody know this? Uh, she's got goblin powers. Oh, goblin uh, intuition. Sure. Sim or Nastir told her. Yeah. That, that guy. He's the head of the Marauders. He does nothing but just order them around to go and fail. Maybe one of the times that the Marauders were trying to kill her, somebody said, oh, Mr. Sinister really wants us to kill her. That could be. Yeah, and she probably. kept the name in her mind. Oh, whoever. I want to find out what Mr. Sinister's first name is. <laughs> Mr. Sinister is my father's name. You may call me Brad. Mr. Mr. Sinister. <laughs> Mr. Mr. The, uh, do you think the liar is a callback to the last issue where she was yelling at fake Scott? Liar! I just think this is what Madeline does now. Liar! She just runs around going, liar! Yeah, yeah. Madeline, will you fly the plane today? Liar! <laughs> but I didn't say liar! that. <laughs> but I'm just trying to... So, Nastir, I guess he is swearing here when he goes shards the more the think... goblin queen uses her newborn power the greater it grows i think shards is goblin swearing or just you know goblin slang shards it doesn't not it could be like drat i know i'm just i'm just nitpicking shards i, mean, I, I guess it could be <laughs> it, it does kind of sound like i don't know never mind yeah <laughs> Uh, she And he says, uh, you've evidently grabbed a tigress by the tail. Uh, Madeline sends her goblin minions, Mr. and Mrs. Gray, to uh, to t finish Mr. Sinister off and bring her the heart. Mr. and Mrs. Gray, get him! 
And uh, he gets because up she, immediately. She constantly refers to the goblins as Mr. and Mrs. Gray. I wish. I, I, I wish. <laughs> but for the purposes of the rest of this podcast, she does. Uh, he gets up um, and says, regrettably, Mr. Sinister has no heart, nor is he about to be bested in his own sanctum sanctorum. And he's, he, I remember the last time you said, you asked me when he said he didn't have a heart, if it was literal or not. I and think I said, it's literal. And I said, I didn't know. And then you said, but I'm asking you to make a judgment call. Yeah. And I said, sure. Okay. So you were right. He has no, he literally has no heart. He's got a diamond. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's technically not where his heart is, but you yeah, know. It's pretty close. It's close enough. Um. Yeah, I guess, I don't know. Is that figurative or literal? Or do we ever find out? Do you think his little chin patch is also a diamond? He's just like covered in diamonds. Like his nipples are two black diamonds. Honestly, I think somebody just designed him and everyone was like, yeah, that's cool. And it wasn't until many years later where they tried figuring out what all these attributes actually were. Like if he was totally naked, he would have two black diamonds for nipples, one black diamond for a belly button. He would just have like a black codpiece diamond. <laughs> would it be a diamond or would it be a club? <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's they're all diamonds. Oh, okay. Or, or diamondy shapes. Maybe, I guess they're not exact diamonds. Maybe he is the reincarnation of Jacko Diamonds. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> That's why we're in the Nebraska mm-hmm. uh, foster house where Scott went through his fostering. You know what? It would not surprise me, and I don't know that this ever happened, but it wouldn't surprise me if that story all gets retconned into that was actually Mr. Sinister the whole time. Like, there's an issue where he goes to Scott. It's like, you might know me better as Jack O'Diamonds. And Scott goes, <laughs> what? what? <laughs> that probably didn't happen. And Scott says, who? Who? <laughs> you mean from the 60s? Nobody remembers that. Nobody cares. I Well, if it hasn't been done, we're doing it now. <laughs> Dear official, writers. Official Danger Room retcon. Mr. Sinister is Jack O'Diamonds. <laughs> you heard it here first mr sinister this episode is a collector's item <laughs> yeah mr sinister uh oh should we start renumbering our podcast from number one? Oh yeah we definitely should <laughs> we, and we then sh- we'll have like a legacy number we should do that from time to time just danger room number one and then after 10 issues just renumber it back to the old number scheme yeah you that'd, know for all the the highlights yeah that'd be clever <laughs> uh yeah so mr sinister casts uh like a some he's he puts her in chains somehow. I don't know if he conjured them or if he's just got control over chains, but now there's fire under her. So top panel, what is going on with Madeline here? Uh, it looks like she's bending over. I I think she's bending over and trying to give Mr. Sinister the full force of her power. But all we see is her butt. <laughs> it's not a good angle. No, no, not at all. Uh, Oh, and it looks like Nastir is creeping away at this point. Yeah, and are those his teeth? I mean, they yeah, must yeah. be. Yeah, they're very big teeth that he's got. He's he, he spends most of this issue kind of skulking in the corner. He comes back and forth. Yeah. So, yeah, she's oh, bound up. We should note he is green at this time. Ah, uh, yes, good point. She's bound up in these chains. Um, and Mr. Sinister says that his defensive system simply turns your own energies back on you, using them to bind you all the more tightly. Jack of Diamond Chains! (laughs) 
she calls out to Nastir and asks, "Why won't he help her?" And, uh, and she says, "I'm I'm sorry. Uh, I think he left, leaving you abandoned, quite alone, and altogether at my mercy." Meanwhile, we get the real title. Mr. and Mrs. Gray, do something! (laughs) We get the real title, Fan the Flames, and we get a two-page spread of the X-Men fighting the Marauders. We got Storm bounding in, Rogue is flying in, Dazzler looks like she's ice skating behind uh, a rock. Uh, Havoc's there. (laughs) Wolverine. Colossus is in the foreground. He's knocked out. Uh, and on the Marauder side, you got Polaris. She's jumping in. You got Scalp Hunter, Riptide, Harpoon, Prism. He's running the wrong direction, but he's there. And uh, <laughs> Vertigo is seductively posing in the foreground. It's written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Mark Silvestri, inked by Dan Green, lettered by Tom Orzakowski, colored by Glennis Oliver, edited by Bob Harris, and the Taskmaster was Tom DeFalco. And, I mean, it's a two-page spread, but it's not great. I feel like the uh, uh, the the inking is a little lackluster. That's probably what it is. Like it feels like it's missing some definition. But it's it's like the dream team, Sylvestrian Green. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I guess they're not too hot on. Like they're fine for the rest of the issue. It's just this one two page spread where, like maybe maybe it was a last minute replacement for something else. Maybe their heart wasn't in it. There's a lot of inking going on at Scalp Hunter, but then you look at um, Vertigo or well anybody else, and there's like hardly any inking occurring. It was probably an amazing full page, full two page spread of Mister Sinister, have, like completely unclothed, <laughs> exposing all of his diamonds. <laughs> that could be it. Uh, and the next in the previous issue uh the both the marauders and the x-men said the city what's going on with the city right they had burst out of the morlock tunnels because they morlocks wanted to make an es- or the marauders wanted to make uh, an escape and the x-men fault uh, followed them so the city's crazy and as it is we know, as because we, of inferno as we go to the next page we see a uh, public mailbox trying to eat a man because there's insufficient postage on his uh, let, on his letter, we see a fire hydrant beating a poor puppy into submission. I like the uh, the the fact that there's not just a man getting eaten by a po- uh, by a postal. What are what are those things called? Postal know. post office postal box? box post box sure um, mailbox. But there's also another guy with a letter standing behind him, like, hmm, maybe this isn't such a good idea. <laughs> There are elements of Inferno where you're like, if anybody saw any of this, they would just run. But everybody's kind of like, well, this is weird. <laughs> like, the people that are portrayed, like the, the bystanders, uh, they're all like cartoon characters. Like, this man whose hand is getting chomped off by the mailbox, his hat is like leaping off of his head <laughs> in a very comical, like, what? I feel like the guy who's waiting for him is like, boy, I wish he'd get done so I could put my mail in. I have errands and I have the proper <laughs> amount of postage. Um, Storm whips up a storm to, I don't know, blow away the uh, marauders. Um, Colossus jumps in and grabs a random marauder and slams him to the ground. And so realizes- was Colossus playing possum? Because in the last panel he was knocked out well he's yeah i don't know maybe 
enough time has transpired for him to be awake because he does go from completely unconscious laying on a rock to flipping rop, uh, riptide over uh, onto his back. And Colossus is like, but last time we met, I killed you. Hey, Rusky. We marauders are just chock full of surprises. How about we find out if you're as resilient when I return the compliment? Courtesy of Jack of Diamonds. <laughs> and that's when crazy demon police show up uh, in a crazy demon police car. Uh, all right, that's enough. Nobody move. This is the police. You're all <laughs> under arrest. If you know what's good for you, you'll come quietly. Uh, Lorna. That's, that, that's, that's what they sound like. Sure. You go with that, man. You go. Uh, Lorna says that she's not in the mood. Uh, Havoc still cares for her and is like, Polaris, don't. Uh, but then he's like, no matter how much malice has corrupted Lorna, I still care for her. But I also care as much, maybe more for Madeline. I can't let her be hurt. Colossus is like, oh, the policemen are demons. Am I mad? How can this be Manhattan? Oh, Riptides hurling his high velocity stars. So last time uh, Riptide hurled his high velocity stars at Colossus, they stuck in his metallic hide. Uh, this time they are bouncing off of his armored skin. Well, as we found out, one of the, um, the, um, side effects of his whole issue is that he can't easily transform to human form and he's much stronger than he used to be. So maybe his hide uh, is also stronger and thicker. Well, it, it even does say, but to the young Russian surprise, they bounce off his armored skin. Yeah. So there you go. The cops aren't so lucky. Lorna, uh, I guess because the, the cop dinosaurs are made out of cop cars they are they are metal, mm -hmm. and so she is able to rip them apart, or I guess maybe the, just the bodies are metal. So she rips the bodies out of the the metal dinosaurs, so their heads and their legs fall off or something. Looks like there's a leg falling off here. Yeah, it's like the the top. I can't even explain what these. They're like legs on a head, and the forehead is a car. So I think the forehead, that's the car, is made out of metal. So it does kind of rip these guys apart. Um, and then she yeah. hurls down all of that metal on the X-Men, uh, saying the shrapnel would take care of the X-Men. Vertigo attempts to use her powers to make everybody dizzy. And as Longshot is turning dizzy, he manages to throw one of his flechettes, which, uh, comically goes into a sign directly above Vertigo's head that says Rats Are Us Pet Shop and drops on her head, knocking her unconscious with a comical bonk. What is Eldritch Luck? Where, where's that? However, oh, his, even, his Eldritch while, luck. Uh, even while Longshot succumbs, his Eldritch Luck turns this blind random throw uh, into precisely the right move. Has it been referred to as Eldritch Luck before? And isn't, I don't think so. isn't Eldritch uh, um, uh, um, related to magic? It is uh, ghostly or sinister. Hmm. Interesting. According to dictionary.com. Okay. Or I guess Google. Is Google connected to dictionary.com? That's a side, beside the point. I don't know. Uh, shrapnel, he jumps in with his gun, starts shooting, cutting us down hard and fast. Didn't think those chumps had it in them. Time to even the odds with some rapid volley automatic fire. Bam, 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 bam. bam, bam, bam. bam. 
Or does ow, it go? Pow, pow. Does it go? Bam, 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 bam. I'm using the little gun. <laughs> bam, 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 bam. <laughs> Pebbles. Rogue grabs a car, Superman style. You had the drop on me on San Fran, Scalp Hunter, remember? Pretty near nailed me, too. Now, Sugar, it's my turn, and she tries to crush me with the car, but he's he manages to dodge. Uh, Storm turns over to Psy- Psylocke and says, try to take all these marauders down with one shot. And uh, Psylocke says, I'll try. Uh, yes, because Storm doesn't want to continue waging this battle in the streets of Midtown. Mad though it might seem, there are bystanders. So Psylocke tries to do a thing and she hears cries. Children, help us, save us. And I was assuming that these are the 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 star children, the the little babies in the in the star in the sky. I would. They're not. I mean, that's my guess. It oh, never really yeah. says. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. But if you're not reading all of the parts of um, uh, Inferno, you're probably like, what? <laughs> what children? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> this is never called back to again. In the background, uh, some people are trying to help the guy whose arm is stuck in the post box. The post the box, box is still saying, insufficient postage. Give us a hand, somebody pull harder. And the building behind them says, eat him up. <laughs> I like that they they're they're keeping on with this whole mailbox thing. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice little touch. Uh, Polaris is uh, she's kind of mocking Psylocke. Looks like somebody slapped you down hard as can be. Uh, this is a golden opportunity. Nail her, maul her, Marauders. And that's not when... hardly Bimbo. Well, we got any say in the matter? Rogue swings up to take the punch, and there's some demons in the background who are betting. Uh, souls, oh. a soul on a skunk hair, a sucker bet, seen her fight. Uh, but when they done, we feast on whoever's left. They all have the same voice because I'm not very creative. <laughs> sure. Sure. I didn't understand that whole exchange until you explained it as such. And that makes sense. Oh, okay. <laughs> a soul on a skunk hair is like, is that a thing that we used to say in the nineties? <laughs> I, I don't recall that. That's an eighties love song. <laughs> soul on a skunk hair. But the, uh, yes, the waging makes way more sense. Suck a bad scene of Um This is where things kind of kind of take a turn. Um, where Havoc shoots at Harpoon, and Dazzler's like, "Havoc, careful!" Show off. She thinks to herself, "Your plasma beam is so powerful; it can do uh, it can't do anything but kill." And Havoc says, "That's the idea, Dazzler." So the X Men are getting a little cocky, a little full of themselves, getting a little weird. It's never really explained, but it's happening. Yeah. So back in Nebraska, uh, Madeline has calmed down a little bit. Mr. Sinister is uh, talking to her. You were always a rebel, never believing what you were told. Determined to learn everything yourself, regardless of the cost. He brings up his Iron Throne. (laughs) Yeah, which was just in the ground, I guess. Yeah. Sure, that's handy. Uh, Has it been worth the grief? She says, uh, I have nothing to do with you. I'm a normal person with normal parents and a normal past. Then try to remember any single memory if you can, but I bet you can't because you don't have any. That's not true. They do, and I can't. I, I, I was ten. It was summer. I was playing in the front yard with my best friend Annie Richardson. I threw a frisbee in the street. A car run her over, and that's when I heard her thoughts as she died. And Mister Sinister, you, Mister Sinister, says you remained en rapport with her, sharing that most intimate of bonds until at last she died. Allez! 
Mr. Sinister says, that memory isn't yours. Annie Richardson was Jean Grey's friend, and the incident which catalyzed her telepathic power into being. No! Is this the, this is, I think this is the first time we're learning of Annie Richardson, isn't it? I believe so. Yeah. In, in continuity. I think so, yeah. Oh, was there, there must have been a new, or a classic X-Men back, backup story. I don't remember one, but who knows? There probably was. Uh, Nastir shows back up. Um, oh, and Mr. Sinister continues on. Fascinating how the replicant manages to garner memory flashes from the template, as though some events are so primal that they're now encoded into the genetic matrix itself. Let me just explain exactly what's happening to the reader. Yeah, well, you know, you, you sometimes you got to spell it out. <laughs> yeah, yes, totally. Nastir's like, poor creature, so powerful, yet... Uh, now brought as low as can be right for the last picking with the introduction of one final element, which I'm guessing is her son. Quite possibly. Meanwhile, back in Manhattan, uh, there's a, a huge spire on top of the Empire State Building of what looks like demon crud. Which we've seen before. Yep. We saw the last issue, actually. And, uh... Wolverine has decided to jump in and help the man who's being eaten by the mailbox. Cut him loose, bub. <laughs> Not a chance. Not a chance. Post office don't like it when you try to stiff us on postage. Ain't nothing you can do about it either. I'm government property. Wanna Wolver bet. Wolverine slices the guts open of the mailbox, uh, and his tongue comically lolls out of his mouth. And Wolverine says, you got that guy. I want him back. And it turns out that he was turned into the stamps. Yeah. <laughs> well, all the stamps or just the one stamp? Uh, maybe just the one stamp. I don't know. Maybe that was his, his uh, piece of mail that he was trying to short the government on. By the way, this is when stamps cost 25 cents. Maybe all the stamps are uh, people that have tried. I don't, I don't think he actually had insufficient change on his stamp. I think the demon box was just a jerk. Oh, no. I, I Yeah. Either way, I don't think it really matters. But, but this, I, I think I think maybe all of the postage has little humans on them, from maybe. things that the the demon boxes swallowed. What I again, this goes back to like when they clean everything up in Inferno. Like, is this man dead? I'm gonna go with no. <laughs> okay. So you think when everything but when everything I is re know. is restored, he he just flops off the mail and then it's is he like an inch tall or does he regain his full height again does he stamp size <laughs> he has no legs <laughs> at least i'm alive oh no somebody stepped on me havoc jumps in and he says blast you that's that's a human being not a thing and he blows up the mailbox and a whole bunch of onlookers are like way to go you're my hero the mailbox says post office rage irs hate it's weird because the IRS and the post office aren't re related, other than I guess they're both government dis institutions. But yeah, it's a it's a government institution <laughs> attack. Sure, okay. Department of Defense, NASA. Storm flies overhead, and Colossus says, "Storm, I do not understand. Mailboxes attacking people, police demons, marauders. We have slain, risen from the dead. This is madness." Storm is like, of course, little brother. How else would you describe life in New York City? At which point which you're so like, weird. that's a weird thing for Storm to say. <laughs> yeah. So back in Nebraska, uh, Mr. Sinister is giving um, a 
little origin story of Jean. Uh, apparently, she shut down uh, due to the agony of the thoughts that uh, she witnessed uh, with her telepathy. Didn't tell her parents right away. Nope. And then eventually she met Charles Xavier, or Charles Xavier reached out uh, to her. Mr. Sinister also tried to get her first. Immediately upon learning of her, I planned to eliminate her parents and have her raised here at my orphanage where I kept order. But Charles Xavier was sent in. Wait, where I kept the others, is this at the same time he had Scott? I guess this would be after that, because as we know, Gene was the last X-Man. Yeah, but in future stories, they... I think Gene becomes the first X-Men. She becomes the first X-Men where uh, Professor Xavier was giving her, like, private lessons at her house. Then he found all the X-Men and then finally invited Gene to live at the mansion. Is how future stories are told. So, whatever. That's fine. (laughs) I guess this this is the seeds of those future retcons. Uh, Xavier pioneering... Xavier's pioneering work with Jean was instrumental in leading him to form the X-Men, but while I, while he treated her, I was busy using a blood and tissue sample of the girl that I'd procured. What? Of the girl that I'd procured? Oh, yes. That I had, like, so somehow he went to a clinic and got a sample of her blood. In the first panel, I'm assuming that that sinister doctor is Mr. Sinister oh. Doctor. And he's probably like... I need to take a blood sample. That could be. To create a Jean Grey of my own, you should feel proud, Madeline. She was his premier success, and you were mine. And afterwards, Mr. and Mrs. Grey were like, that doctor was really sinister. (laughs) I would even call him a Mr. Sinister. (laughs) I don't think he was a doctor at all. (laughs) Uh, Mr. Sinister's like, some mutants' abilities manifest themselves at birth, uh, most at puberty. You did neither. So I was, you know, going to probably terminate you. But then one night, uh, you burst into flames and shouted, Scott, fire and life incarnate, now forever, Phoenix. She's naked, by the way. Yeah, well, she was in an orphanage tube wrapped in a blanket, but then she got surrounded by a fire phoenix and which burned up the uh, bed and blanket. So yeah, she she is she's naked, of course. <laughs> yep. That's so, what happens whenever you get hit by Phoenix fires. So back in Manhattan, the smiley face guys show up and say, "We got to destroy anything that wears a costume." And so they start firing at X Men and Marauders alike. So these aren't the 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 uh, happy face troopers from. What's his name's troops? These are the happy face troopers that got sucked into limbo oh. and got turned into demons. Okay, so they're demon smiley face troopers. Right. Gotcha. And you know that because they have little red smiley faces. Yes, they're dark red and evil, and eventually one of them turns into a demon. <laughs> uh, and the X-Men here, like Havoc's blowing some away, Storm's blowing some away, and she calls out and says, Colossus, take the third! Uh, alive for questioning, and uh, Dazzler knocks him out of the gr- uh, out of the sky, and Wolverine sl- er, uh, Colossus slams him up against the wall and starts questioning him. I have seen your kind before in limbo. Great memory, looking pretty righteous, pal. Be it dead suits you. Hey, no hard feelings, right? I'm a trooper. I just follow Sim's lead. He's the big Kahuna. No, my sister rules limbo. 
Not anymore. Not anymore. Magic has been overthrown. Yeah, by Sim and his buddy Naster. Uh, though between gonna make Earth like limbo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just get rid of all that dialogue. That's what's going to happen. And then the uh, he says that the main place that where they're starting this is from the Empire State Building. Colossus turns away to look at the Empire State Building, and the guy turns into a big evil demon. And then Colossus punches his lights out. Um, and that's when we see evil Storm and evil Wolverine. And evil Storm is like, splendid Colossus. That is the way to deal with arrogant toads. I smashed him to bits. And now these pieces burn. I have slain. And Storm cheers me on to more. Work ain't done here, says evil Wolverine. As long as more marauders are left, let's bust some heads. So Evil Storm just has a wicked grin, but Evil Wolverine, his his cowl is all kind of messed up and kind of demonic looking, and he's got like a lower predator jaw. He, yeah, he's got some giant lower uh, jaw fangs, crazy yeah. sized fangs. But honestly, I, I like this. I mean, it makes no sense, uh, but I like his ruined cowl and his giant fang face. Well, it's good because it finally tips you off on like, oh, now I get what's going on. Yeah, and I feel like it's been a nice slow build. Like it wasn't just like, we're good, now we're bad. It's like, oh, it's been building up to this. It's not just sloppy writing. And Colossus decides to leave the battle. I want to join the others, let myself be consumed by this magical, unnatural inferno. But I resist. It seems my armored body protects me from this sorcery as it did from Sa'im's spells when we fought in Limbo. I can only save my comrades by saving Ilyana. Enchanted as they are, I dare not count on them to help me, so I must go alone. And pray I am not already too late. So Colossus explaining everything that has we has, has been kind of happening. May, meanwhile, back in Nebraska, um, uh, Mr. Sinister continues to spell everything out for us. Uh, curiouser, I thought, and curiouser, especially after I learned that the manifestation occurred at precisely the moment Phoenix sacrificed herself on the moon to save the universe from the dark side of the uh, of her nature. How do I know this? Well, I'm Mr. Sinister. I know a lot. I talk to the Watcher. Watcher and I go out for coffee. He fills me out on deets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Think, Madeline, of the instant of her death was your birth. I wondered then if clone and original were bond psychic or physically in much the same manner as identical twins no nope, psychically you were right the first oh, time psychically well anyways you possessed all of Jean's genetic potential if not her powers and her uh, and perhaps her resonance with the phoenix force so then his big plan was if i could get you to have a baby with scott oh boy would i have a really powerful person on my hands so i so made the cover so I- Yep, I arranged to have you work with uh, Scott's grandparents' airline in Alaska, made you a wicked pilot. You guys bumped into each other. It totally worked. I knew once you met, and if necessary, I was prepared to ensure you would, nature would take its inevitable course, which it did. You used me! Child, that's why you were made. But with a Jean Grey's resurrection came a problem, being a telepath, and more importantly, your template. She'd sensed the truth the moment you met. To protect my organization, you had to be eliminated, so I sent the marauders after you to kill you out. It doesn't make any sense. Why not? I don't know. It being, makes sense. Being a telepath 
and more importantly, your template. She'd sense the truth the moment you met. To protect my organization, you had to be eliminated. So he's just uh, he's just getting rid of the body of the clone body, so that uh, if Gene can't tell Scott, oh, it's a clone. Yeah, <laughs> it just it just smacks of like, okay, we just figured out how we're going to explain away all this. Here well, it is. You know, it it works. It, it is a story that I can buy with what has been going on uh, with these past few months. I get it, but I I don't believe for a second that this was the original intent when Madeline was first introduced or when the Marauders were originally trying to kill Madeline. Oh, of course not. Okay. But, you know. <laughs> but I guess that's the nature of comic books. Yeah. You tell the story as you're telling them. You don't plan ahead. Maybe some of it was planned ahead. I don't know. And then he thinks, by that stroke, I'd gain your baby for myself while covering my tracks so thoroughly Scott Summers would never find me. I don't know what happens when Scott Summers finds me, but I don't want that to happen. He would never find me. Did you see all the, the, the crazy job that I did on him in X Factor? Have you been reading X Factor, Madeline? <laughs> but your marauders botched the job. And she it, says with a, dare I say, sinister smile on her face. Yes, and prior to that, we do see her arm in a chain uh, kind of catching fire. And her neck is also catching fire with her neck chain. Oh, yeah, good point. In fact, in the, in the upper panel, all the ch chains are on fire. These are just fiery chains. Uh, Longshot is swinging around a la Spider-Man, He's and he's way up there. He's like at the top of the Empire State Building swinging around. Yeah, Maybe. He's cool. I don't know where he is, but he's really high up there swinging on something. And he's complaining about everything he touches is screaming inside. Allison, most of all. Havoc said I did wrong, a wrong thing seeing her in Rogue. Uh, I guess they, we must have talked about this uh, another time. But can't <laughs> oh. there be room in my hearts for more than a single person? Whoa, it's Nastir. <laughs> uh,. What have we here? Never have I espied a soul so noble, so pure, so totally irrevocably torn. Dear boy, let me put you out of your misery. And he bites his arm. No! Ah! <laughs> so does this mean that Nightcrawler, or a Nightcrawler, Longshot is, like, seeing both of them? Uh, uh, Rogue and Allison? Well, yeah. I mean, we kind of talked about it on the on the last uh, episode. Like, he's not... He's from another planet. He's not really aware of, like, what's considered... Uh, well, that was just flirting. This this seems more like he's serious about both of them. Yeah, I think he, he had his little roller skating date with uh, Rogue in her gold costume, and, and he's like, man, I want some of that. I'm so lucky I could probably not get my powers absorbed. <laughs> totally be worth it. <laughs> And the Marauders are down and out for the count. I think they're all dead. Uh, maybe. The evil X-Men are all standing around them. Um, yeah, they, maybe they are dead. I would imagine they are dead because these are the evil X-Men. Yeah. Is that the last? I'll save Polaris. You sound disappointed, darlings. Over too quick, Wolvie. They didn't suffer nearly enough. Uh, Aurora no, goes in for be... a high five with Rogue and says... Oh, yeah, which is ridiculous. <laughs> it's awesome because they're evil. Yeah, and, you know, evil people are known for doing high fives. <laughs> yeah, no matter. There will be other foes, better battles. Can't wait. Anybody crosses the X-Men, they get their ticket punched permanently. 
one thing the X-Men are not known for is giving high fives. But the evil X-Men, oh man, they're high fives all over the place. That's all they do is high five one another. And in the foreground, you have like an evil, smiling, big bosomed Psylocke. Yeah, well, you know, Sylvester. Just like two coconuts on the front of her costume there. Sylvester is Sylvester. He does like to draw the bosoms. (laughs) Uh, Longshot falls into panel with a thud. Uh, And Dazzler is looking in a mirror and she kind of doesn't really care. She's like, Longshot, a wrinkle? (laughs) Oh, what's next? Gray hairs? Nastir speaks, uh, yet words are so easily broken. The challenge is to get them back up with beads. Try this on for size, Buster, says uh, Havoc. And Nastir reveals that I've I've feasted on Longshot's soul, so shall I have yours as well. And uh, tastiest of all shall be that of Madeline Pryor. And he disappears. Havoc says, we got to get after him. Find his trail, Wolvie. We have to save her. Ain't that simple, Havoc. We got company. We got trouble. But who that is and what it entails will have to wait, says our narration box. Mm-hmm. Back in Nebraska, Mr. and Mrs. Gray Goblin uh, watch as all of Madeline's limbs are now on fire. And uh, all, yeah, especially all the areas with the chains. And Mr. Sinister carries on and talks about how the Marauders are failures. <laughs> they shouldn't have failed, but they did fail. And then you died along with the X-Men. And then you reappeared, and now you're here, and it seems like you made some sort of deal with the with demons, Mr. and Mrs. Gray over there. Oh, wait, he doesn't see Mr. and Mrs. Gray over there. Nope. She says, perhaps Cause... when I died, I made a deal with the devil to come collect you down to join him. We shall see. And then she says, Mr. and Mrs. Gray, get him! And they do. They jump uh, on him, taking him out, and as... That they dis- cause the distraction. She explodes now and says, I don't belong to you, sinister. I won't be ruled by you. I won't be condemned by you. And fire shoots out of her right eye, then both eyes, then her mouth. And all she is is consumed in fire. And the chains are just a shot of chains breaking and, and she's free. Mr. Sinister's Surprise! laying helpless on the ground, kind of covering his uh, his head with his arm, and he's like, impossible. If you say so. <laughs> what price glory now, Sinister? It appears your devices have limits, and I don't. <laughs> I've been challenged before. Uh, that's an X-Men line. Trust me, you're not in their league. If you truly think you've tested my resources, no more I'm willing to bet than you have mine. Prelims are over, Sinister. It's time for the main event. And that's when Nastir shows up and he's red now and techno-organic, techno-virus, techno-organic virus. Yes. And he's got the baby and says, look what Nastir did for you. Here's a baby. (laughs) (laughs) Never doubted you for an, never doubted you for an instant. Give me my son. No, says Mr. No, says Mr. Sinister in slow-mo reaching out. Uh, here's the culmination of all your machinations, all Scott Summers' hopes and dreams, all of all that represents my humanity in one stroke. I make it dust. Uh, your ambition is to rule the world in one stroke. I make it ashes. I abjure life. Father, it means I reject. Oh, okay. And give myself over wholly and unreservedly to the 
fire, an inferno that will consume you all. Next. Read X-Factor number 37 and be here next month for X-Men X-Factor Burn. So it seems like she wants to kill the baby. I don't know what she wants to do. That's what it seems like. She got crazy eyes, though. She's got Betty Davis eyes. I don't know. I said she's got crazy eyes. I know, but I didn't feel like turning Betty Davis into crazy. It's it's like turning those three syllables into one, two syllables, and I, it was just too much work for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't get paid nearly enough to turn three syllables into two syllables. I ain't got that sort of time. Uh, we got, well, so that was it, uh, for the, for that issue. Uh, we did get some, uh, communique though. We got a, a Facebook from John Brooks who says he started listening to our podcast a few months ago. He just finished number 34 into the crimson cosmos. I don't remember that. Uh, it will take me a while until I'm caught up. Uh, so hello from the future in the past. One of those, both know. of those. I really enjoy the show. I use Google Play Music app to listen to the show, which is awesome. I'm curious to know what your preferred uh, podcast app is. I would love for my listenership to count towards your ratings. I don't have the option to give ratings or comments in the Google Play app. Thank you for the entertainment. Well, um, I don't know. Go out to iTunes and, and give us a star or, or leave us a review. And if you're not just one star, give us a five star review. review. Yeah, if you give us a star. one star review, that means you don't like us. Thing is, he's using uh, Google Play Music, which to me infers that he probably has an Android. I would imagine the Android store has some sort of a feedback slash rating system. You know, anywhere where you can put some likes or stars. Come out to uh, Facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast and just like us there. That that'd be a great way to to add to well, our listenership or he, he's asking he's asking how can his listenership count towards our ratings yeah. and probably the best way for that is an itunes five-star review because we ha- we've got some of those we, we do and, and the more we have of those the better it looks if you don't have itunes it's okay yeah i don't want to ask him to like go register for all that because yeah yeah I mean, if, if it's our, if it's something you already have we don't want anybody to uh sign up for anything new except for patreon now, he does ask a very important question, uh, which I do have an answer to. The question is uh, what our preferred podcast app is. Um, and if you're meaning like a playback slash subscription app, um, I use a program called Downcast. Which I is, used to use. Oh, go ahead. Oh, it's. Uh, I think it's available on both Android and I uh, Apple platforms uh, and is more or less just agnostic of all of those systems. And you can just go and type in podcast names and they show up regardless of whether they're on Google Play or iTunes or what have you. I have always used iTunes, but I'm thinking of switching over to Spotify. Oh, I think um, maybe we're possibly on Spotify. Yeah, we're on Spotify. Sweet. So there you go. Get us on Spotify. We don't have like any revenue sharing with anything, so... Uh, yeah. Just the fact that you wrote us a letter is uh, helping our, our ratings all yeah, by man. itself. <laughs> Dustin Habel, he writes in and says, Adam, you've got to see Night of the Living Dead. It's so <laughs> great. I agree, Dustin. Dustin is right on the money. Also, the movie you guys were talking about a while back with the half man, half tank, was it Eliminators? Yes, it was Eliminators. Does that mean we have to do something now? Uh, Dustin, you'll have to remind <laughs> us if we said we would do something. Uh, there may have been like a promise of like an audio commentary, which maybe seemed like a good t- 
idea at the time. No, yeah, no, no. maybe maybe a ten minute review is a better <laughs> idea. Ooh, that would be a good idea, Dustin. Maybe, uh, maybe we even tack it on to the end of an episode. Yeah, uh, whoever whoever's following this thread, uh, the the Eliminators thread here, the half man half tank storyline uh, of our podcast, you'll have to write in and remind us what we said we'd do. I'll do it. I don't even care, but I just don't remember <laughs> what we said we were going to do. And I'll watch Night of the Living Dead. I don't even care, <laughs> I, I, Adam. I don't think you're going to. No, I will. I, I it's on my it's on my to do list. How many movies are on your to do list? So many movies, but this is one of those important ones. Agreed. You know, <clears throat> I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll probably do it this year. Cause, oh, because because my girlfriend has the Blu-ray, so I'm gonna. It's there. It's sitting there. You know, that's staring the, at me. It's the wrong format to watch it. You need to watch it on some bootleg VHS. Well. If either I'm going to watch it on what I have available or I'm not going to watch it. There so are, don't tell me I got the wrong format now. Actually, what you really need to do is find a film quality, a film version of it. You're right. I'm going to wait until it comes to the theater where they where they have like a local screening and then I'll go see it. That's the only way I'll go now. You know what? I bet you you live you live in Buffalo. Buffalo's a somewhat happening town. We just we just had a whole bunch of horror movies screening, none of which I went to go see, but none of them was Night of the Living Dead either. I bet I think, you. I think we did Night of the Living Dead a couple of years back, and I didn't go to that either. I bet you if you kept your ear to the ground and you watched like all of your theaters and all of the art houses and whatnot, somewhere someone is putting on a public uh, um, presentation of Night of the Living Dead within like I, the year like 2019. I, like I said, I think it happened last year, so it might not happen this year. Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's practically free to exhibit that movie. Probably. So come come Halloween, somebody's going to show it. Doesn't your theater have like retro throwback Tuesdays? So they've been doing like a horror thing because Comic-Con was in town and they've been having a lot of guests. So they did like a child's play with the kid. Oh. And then he the, was there. The kid who's like 50 now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I didn't go to that. Um, then they had why not Friday the Thirteenth Part Six or something with Jason was there. Wait, wait. wait. Um, Friday the Thirteenth Part Six was... might have been Part Five. It might have been Part Seven. No, I'm it... not sure. Oh, all right. I didn't go. It matters. I didn't go. Okay. Um, and then yesterday they did. Uh, no, no. Saturday they did the. The London, American Werewolf in London. You know what? I've never actually seen that movie. I haven't either. Oh. Because I also didn't go to that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of those movies that just, you know, continually pops up as like, you should see this. Like Night of the Living Dead, it is a classic. It's not as classic as Night of the Living Dead, though. Probably not. No, it is not. No probably well, about you, it. Well, you haven't seen it, so how could it be? Exactly. And I'm the foremost authority on what's classic cinema. <laughs> That's my point. I've never seen Gone with the Wind. Oh, I have. I've seen it on the big screen. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you. I've seen uh, the big screen. Mm. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <clears throat> um, all right. There you go. Um, if you'd like to get in contact with us and let us know what movies we should watch or not watch or what have you. Uh, visit us www.xmenpodcast.com visit us uh, also at facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast follow us at danger room go or you can email us danger room at xmenpodcast.com go out to itunes leave us a review five star uh 
thing, whatever you want to do there. Five star review. That's good. Yeah, five stars. Okay, thank you. What, whatever you do, make sure it's got five stars. Anything less, don't even bother. I don't want to see it. Or, or if you do, or, or just don't rate it. Just leave a review. Don't be one of those people that gives us three stars. Because what are you trying to say? Or four stars, or two stars, <laughs> or one star. All we want is five stars. Five stars or no stars. You can leave a review with no stars if you don't want to give the full five stars. That's fine. We prefer the full five stars. <laughs> uh, I'd take four. Just, really? Just none of that three garbage. Oh, man. I feel like four is a slight. You know... These guys, are, these, these guys are these guys are almost really good. There, <laughs> there are some people that that just don't ever give the bottom or the top. They're just mentally wired to, to 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 not to always go in the middle, but leaning one way or the other, but never all the way up. Because if you look at it, uh, five stars would mean perfection. Like there's you can't do better. And I, and I get that, and I agree with that when you're talking about movies. Or you're talking about things that aren't going to affect two schmucks doing a podcast uh, from their home stuff. Yeah, don't just dis- in that in that case, you just got to give five stars, and then or or don't or don't bother. Yeah, don't disparage our creativity. Like if I was if I didn't like somebody's podcast and I was listening to it, I wouldn't be like, "Oh, these guys suck." I'm gonna write a a, zero, a one star review just to make them feel bad because I'm not that kind of guy. I, I would, Adam, and then I would go on a <laughs> I'd go on a Twitter rant for weeks about how terrible <laughs> these people are. Actually, if somebody could do that, because I feel like that would get us some listeners. Just go hey, on like it, a t- Twitter rant about how awful we are for weeks. If, you, if you've got like 5 million Twitter followers, definitely say whatever you want about us. Yeah, but if you've got 20, don't say anything. Yeah, don't bother. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, also, you can call us, 501-GET-X-MEN. That's 501-438-9636. Or go out to patreon.com forward slash danger room and become a danger room patron. Got a Indeed. couple more... Uh, of those in the last couple of weeks. I added a ridiculous one. Oh yeah? Well, what is it? Like Adam's going to have dinner with you? I added the $1000 patronage <laughs> where you get to host the show with us. Oh. I Wow, I can't wait for all the people to get in. Did you limit <laughs> it? Did you limit it to like 5 so we don't have like all of this money pouring in and and No and, man, if if every listener can do it, so Oh my we'll just, gosh. We're not all going to do it. We'll do it one at a time. So once you guys start sending us the thousand dollars, Adam, I, I think this is a bad idea. I, I think like somebody's just going to end up replacing me because we're just going to get all those thousand dollar pledges. It could happen. I don't know, man. <laughs> Anything's possible. <laughs> um, yeah, our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld, but we're not done yet. Oh no! Oh no! This is the part of the show that people like or or stop listening for. (laughs) They tuned out as soon as I mentioned the Twitter address. (laughs) Done. Ain't got time for this. Probably people tune out when we start talking about giving us money. (laughs) Nope. Podcasts are free. I'm out. (laughs) Uh, That's okay. Um, I read Excalibur number five. This was fun. Uh, Yeah, nothing really happens, but it it was a fun issue, right? Good Alan Davis uh, artwork, some some clever ideas. Uh, It's it's murder world madness. Um, The X Men and the Crazy Gang, or the X Excalibur and the Crazy Gang, have uh, switched bodies, and uh, except for Kitty, except for Kitty. Um, 
The only thing in here that really... So, a uh, couple of things, I guess, that are interesting. Kitty uh, is able to destroy all the computers and then grab Arcade and dump him off into uh, Murder World, mm-hmm. leaving um, Lockheed behind, which is an important thing. I don't know why it's important. Uh, but but uh, Kitty kind of pushes uh, Arcade off and is like, well, there's Murder World. Have fun. And she takes off. Um, and he, he's like, whoa, this place is crazy. Well, she also reveals that uh, previous the, from the last time that she was in Murder World, she must have stole some circuitry or something. That's the, and she, yeah, she no. and Doug Ramsey are rewiring the whole thing. So Arcade's not familiar with any of this stuff. Yeah, that was the second interesting thing that I wanted to point out because I don't I don't remember, but apparently it was uh, back in X Men number one ninety nine. Uh, she and Doug Ramsey were kidnapped. I don't think Doug Ramsey was kidnapped. I think she got to know Doug Ramsey afterwards, and because he's a he's a nerd, they yeah. can they can nerd out together. Oh, okay. So then, and she's probably like, oh, and then this arcade guy kidnapped us. We got away totally, but he had these rad computers, and he's like, we yeah, should, yeah, we should program something in case you ever get captured again. Exactly. So they program like a computer virus or something that it creates a little band in the middle of the thing called Cats Laughing. And that's that's a Kitty Pride reference. Woo. So apparently she remembered the program. And now that she's in Murder World, she's executing the program in Murder yeah. World. Which was uh, is okay. It's neat. Neat little touch there. I want to know who these Cats Laughing people are. Steve on drums, Adam on guitar, Nikki Falcon on bass. Are these is that a, are these references to anybody that I, I should be knowing? I I don't know. Nikki um, Falcon sounds real. Miss Locke and some dude they're they're trying to uh, overcome Lockheed, but um, Lockheed is able to rebuff them. And this is weird to me. Like this dude's about to hit him with a mace, but off panel he's able to. I don't know. He doesn't get hit, and he uses some flames. We hear thud, baff, bam, bite, wham, bash, and the guy goes running, and then Miss Locke is like, oh, Lockheed, and I didn't know what was happening. Like, is she like, oh, he's hot? No, she's trying to seduce him. Oh. Because she's oh, I like, see. oh, well, that didn't work, dude, so I'm going to try to seduce him, okay. which we find out that she is somewhat successful at because they escape, and Kitty uh, admonishes uh, Lockheed later and says, "You dummy, yeah. <laughs> or shame on you, dragon! Shame, shame, shame! You couldn't wait to let her and Mister uh, Chambers escape, that hussy." So the other neat thing is that um, Megan is kind of reverting back to her kind of gorilla form, uh, which I think she had when we first met her way back in those pages of Captain Britain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Captain Britain and. Um, uh, the guy that made the metal head guy switched bodies. And so the guy, he's like Tweedledum, basically. And he's like, don't you hurt my Courtney. And I just <laughs> think that's awesome how they phonetically spelt those things out. Courtney's not figured out that they've switched bodies. So he keeps trying to save her from Captain Britain. Captain Britain is just like, uh, just, just dumb and trying to get Courtney. I thought that was kind of a fun touch. It is. It's, it's 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 very fun. Courtney and Kitty bump into each other, and they kind of like each other. There's a nice moment where they're kind of like talking to each other, and as they're running away, 
going to the next phase of the plan. Kitty's like, she's really nice. Gutsy, too, taking this all in stride. And she really cares for Brian. And Courtney thinks, plucky little youngster. I like her. Yep. It's almost like these guys would have a future relationship, but no. <laughs> uh, yeah, Megan is, is continuing to devolve uh, or, or whatever you want to call it. And uh, she's able to get her body transferred back via a device that Courtney has found. Uh, she reverts her, her, I don't know, her beautiful body back, I guess, and punches the dude that switched bodies with her in the first place. She mm-hmm. was not happy about that. Uh, ultimately, Courtney is able to to uh, bring everybody back. Except for Phoenix, but Kitty is able to get her back by phasing into her death body. Yes, and kind of taking over? Uh, I guess combining their minds so that she can it's, it's open my mind tele, to, totally to raise telepathic power, gambling that the image of herself she sees in my thoughts will be enough to break her free. And she phoenixes out and she's okay. Um, so they, yeah, they close it all down. The police get called. Arcade is taken away by the police. He says, I'll be out in a day. Don't you worry about it. Uh, Courtney goes home and she's like, that was great. I'm so happy to have been saved by Captain Britain. I can't even believe it, it was amazing. Blah, blah. Oh, and I guess we should also say that this whole thing is prefaced by the fact that Captain Britain is meeting Courtney for a date. Yes. I guess is what happened this issue or last issue. Must have been last issue. It was last issue, um, which is weird, right? Megan's getting wind of this. Nightcrawler's getting wind of this. Uh, so she's reeling with this quote unquote date that they had. And that's when Saturnine shows up and she's like, you, uh, Nightcrawler. There's a, there's a zap and we cut away with Nightcrawler and Brian at the bar where Brian, I guess, is going to head over to Courtney's for, for that date. It, Nightcrawler's like disguise here is awesome. <laughs> He's pretty cool. just got these gigantic glasses and this huge, I don't even know what kind of a hat you call that, but it's amazing. And his face with, with the shadows and his like big fur coat uh, collar just looks like a, like a weird, like beatnik hippie drawing. Alan Davis is pretty good at these. Yep. I like there, it. There is, there is a nice touch where uh, Brian is holding a glass, a uh, shot glass as he's about to leave and he puts it back down on the table and pushes it away. Cause as we know, he did have a mm. slight alcoholism problem in the mm-hmm. last couple of issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. <clears throat> so he takes off to go meet with, uh, Courtney and, and Nightcrawler's like, uh, we'll see if you're uh, a man after all this is said and done. Um, and so he goes to Courtney's apartment and he's like, something's wrong with you. Oh, that's weird. You're Saturnine's twin. And then she's, I guess, possessed by Saturnine. I don't know how Saturnine works, but she's all sexy and she grabs Brian and they start kissing. Well, no, I think it is Saturnine because there's a stain on the floor that I think is Courtney. Oh, is that what Court- Saturnine does? I don't know what she does, but I'm, I'm pretty sure Courtney's dead. Oh, really? Yeah, because I think that zap... Or maybe she's inside of whatever the zap machine was because there's that super bright light, the zap. Oh. And the next thing is the <clears throat> body on the floor. And Saturnine's wearing like a turntable on her chest. Yeah. So maybe she's inside the turntable. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think maybe you're right. Maybe she got zapped and just her ashes are left like in agony yeah, on the floor. Yeah, that's what I was initially thinking, but I guess I guess we'll find out. Hmm. 
Anyways. So, uh, next issue is a Inferno tie-in called Goblin Knight. I know. Crazy. Mm-hmm. So, we'll be sure to check that out. So, in Wolverine number four, we are introduced to Rough House and Bloodsport, who are uh, two fun villains, if you like this front of Wolverine. Uh, Blood uh, uh, Roughhouse is a big bruiser kind of guy who's tougher than most, and Bloodsport is a vampire type guy who uh, has kind of roguish powers. Where when he touches you, he kind of steals your your blood. You like immediately bleed, and he kind of absorbs it and whatnot. I think his powers kind of change as they go. But they are working for uh, Karma's dad. Who's Karma? Karma's- karma's uncle who's karma so so the first time that i ever read this comic i had no idea who karma was um so yeah new mutants karma she's in this yes and they they talk about koi koi manzan but it's not until much later in the issue where they're like she was a new mutant right and i and i think when i read this i didn't even know what that was so like, did you think like it was literally like she is a new mutant? <laughs> Quite possible. Fresh off the boat, new mutant. It, it's also possible that I didn't realize that the person in the new mutant's outfit was the same person in that Wolverine sneaks into her room earlier. Sure. And, and Wolverine's doing this weird thing where he appears behind her and he's like, because he doesn't want her to realize that Wolverine's in town. I, I I wish they would get over that. And the other thing that I would have never known back then was that Jessica Drew is Spider-Woman and here she's like climbing the walls and stuff and breaking I, down doors with her spider power. I would have been like, oh, okay, she's just some strong lady. I, didn't think, I guess it doesn't really matter. I didn't think she had her spider powers. I thought she was just like jumping up and hanging on like rafters and stuff. Well, she does say, thank heaven I still possess my ability to stick to walls. Oh. Huh. So she's she's got that. I thought okay. I thought in a, like a, strong. Avengers Annual number ten, they're like, "This is Jessica Drew. She used to have Spider Woman powers. Now she's just a detective." Well, I guess she's a detective who can stick to walls and break things. Okay. She, she's. I don't know. Maybe maybe she just decided not to be a superhero. I'm not really sure. Sure. I don't know the story of Jessica Drew, but she she has super strength and she can cling to walls. Um. And that's basically the whole premise of the thing is that Karma's uncle is attempting to uh, move in to become the crime lord of Madripoor. Um, Tiger Tiger, who we met in the 10-issue limited series of Marvel Comics Presents, is the current crime lord. And she gets attacked by Bloodsport and it goes unconscious for a while. Um, We do learn that Wolverine owns half of the Princess Bar. Yep. He says, that's why I bought half interest in the place. Because uh, you want information to Madripoor? Princess Bar is the place to go. Uh, luckily, the X-Men give me a decent stipend. Yeah. Where's Wolverine get this money from? We all know that Wolverine's got a job that pays really well. I guess. <laughs> Maybe he got some inheritance from, um, from what's-her-face, the Japanese woman, Yoshida. Oh, okay. Maybe. Mariko. Maybe he's got... He's got connections. He's like, Mariko, hey, I need to buy, I need to, I need to own half a bar. What do you say? I am, I am not ready to be honorable to you. (laughs) Here is bar money. Leave me alone. (laughs) Uh, Your daughter is fine. 
<laughs> Wait, what? Thank you for asking. The 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 girl that he left in her uh, care. I remember. What was it, Yoshida? Or I don't remember what her name was. I don't know. A storyline that went nowhere. Um, Wolverine gets attacked. Wolverine and Tiger Tiger get attacked by uh, Roughhouse and Bloodsport, who are handily able to uh, pretty much destroy them. But luckily, Karma steps in and possesses uh, Bloodsport and Roughhouse because that's her power. And uh, they escape. And then the next morning, Karma and Roughhouse and Bloodsport and her uncle are sitting around a table talking about how they're going to take over the crime thing. And Karma doesn't know what to do. And she breaks a glass and she's bleeding. And she's like, Mother of Angels, what am I to do? Right. And I believe next issue, Bloodsport will lick the blood off of her fingers, as I recall. Oh, it's hot. I'm going, for, I'm going from memory. Could be wrong. And I probably won't remember to bring it up again. Oh, well. Marvel Comics presents number uh, 17. That's the last of the Colossus story. But the beginning of a Cyclops story. That's true. And, uh, yeah, the Colossus story uh, is probably the best chapter. I mean, of the, of the eight parts of this story? Yeah, because most of this has been very confusing. <laughs> uh, I don't even know that this ending really, I mean, I guess it kind of wraps things up. Um, but if I can, if I can recount the dad is a jerk, the Mm -hmm. mom is crazy Mm -hmm. and the grandfather is oblivious and there's a kid who also seems to be a little crazy too. And then, and then Colossus is like, I am here now I am with CIA and now I, I am coming back. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) All right. And then there's neighbors that are like. What's going on at that house? I bet you there's some crazy stuff going on at that house. Should we do something? No. That's pretty much the story. All right, good. I'm glad I got it. And then there's this robot woman um, who wanted Colossus to kill her at one point. She wanted Colossus to take her inside so that she could tell him what to do. No. Because, okay, so the whole story is there's that guy who washes his hands. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. And he's like a CIA guy, yes. but he they do missions that uh, the CIA can't be public about because they go around and kill people. Right. Um, and those are the cold warriors. They're not mutants, but they have augmented abilities by mechanics, I guess. And and the, the lady is one of them. So now the little boy here is really concerned about Grandpa. He hasn't been talking about Grandpa for a while. And Grandpa's been sitting out in the car listening to show tunes or something. And uh, he really wants somebody to go get Grandpa. Grandpa, he gets out of the car and he's just singing a song. Fairy tales can come true. It can happen to you if you're young at heart. This is a song. If you're young at heart. Okay. Fairy tales can come true. It can happen to you. If you're young at heart, I I lost it a little bit there. (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) And so, yes, he walks in, his, his hat is shot off of his head. Bullets are just going everywhere. He's completely oblivious to it. And he walks into the house and he's like, guys, I don't want to live anymore. So I'm going (laughs) to lay down and die. But first daughter, you need to hold this family together because you've got my spirit. So stop being crazy. And lead the family. So he may have gotten shot, or he maybe just lied down and died. I'm not really sure. 
just doesn't seemed, matter. I, I kind of liked him from the fact that he's just like, all this crazy stuff is cap- happening. I'm going to go in my car and just listen to some music, <laughs> which was kind of out of left field. And now he kind of comes in and he's like, all right, well, now it's time for me to die. Uh, the kid's very upset about this. And that's when the police show up. The CIA shows up. Somebody shows Colossus up. Colossus shows up. Colossus bursts through the wall like Kool-Aid man here. He even he even says, Bruce, Zachary, oh yeah. <laughs> he says it's over, it's all over, and now it's daylight, not nighttime I am, anymore. I am no good at using doors. <laughs> no. And the ambulance is there, they're pulling away grandfather because he's dead, and uh, I don't I don't really know. And the and the wife is now like, All right, everybody. We have healing to do, and uh, I'm not crazy anymore. Well, because the grandfather said, don't be crazy anymore. And now the father is all nice, and yeah, you fought for your country, son. They had a moment. They did. And then uh, Colossus says that he's homesick, and uh, for that gang, the X-Men? No, for my family, for Russia, for my home. And there was a reporter there who was taking a whole bunch of notes, and Colossus is like, uh, uh, it doesn't matter. This story will get uh, buried. And the reporter's like, no, this is front page headline stuff. And uh, the sheriff rolls up, uh, and the guy in the back seat, who I guess they've taken away, this is the illegal CIA guy's like, don't bother reading the papers. You'll be disappointed. Colossus says, we'll see. We'll see. And the the man there, the father's like, who was that? Just a confused, insane man. At least I hope so. The end. And, and then we get a panel of Superman for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> um, the the implication here is that we don't know if this story gets buried or if it actually becomes a thing. Well, I can tell you, none of these characters ever appear again. <laughs> so you think it was buried? I don't know. Yeah. I mean. Either way, it doesn't matter because <laughs> none of these characters ever appear again, except for Colossus. The Watcher story was pretty fun. I liked reading that. I'm, I'm not going to cover it, but it's basically like a Christmas story about like uh, some entity that wants to take the Earth as a present, and the Watcher's like, I can't interfere, but let me show you some good stuff that humans do. Mm-hmm. And then the dude's like, eh, all right, cool. All right, I guess I won't I won't take the world then. And he leaves behind the watcher a present. The present is a pair of glasses, sunglasses. And the watcher's like, huh. And he starts laughing. These won't fit on my head. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. Anyways, the Cyclops story, all of these Marvel Comics present stories, I just feel like are confusing. The Cyclops story, I I thought this is this is a good beginning. So I is basically Cyclops is coming to Muir Island. Well, this is great because I have like the middle chapter of this story that that I bought when I was a kid. I won't okay. spoil why I bought it, but there was something on the cover where I was like, "Ooh, I want to see what that is." Um, but I've never read any like the beginning or the end of the story, just that one part that I own. Oh. So, it'll be it'll be fun to see how this all plays out. How many parts is this? Oh, uh, I don't know. It's like 6 or 8. Let's see. It is it is an eight-parter, so you probably have like part five, <laughs> four or five, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so Cyclops I got no context at, whatsoever. Cyclops shows up at Mirror Isle, and he gets attacked immediately by uh, the stuff at Mirror Isle, and he's like, "Why isn't Moira or Sean helping me?" 
And then he sees Moira and she's just kind of walking by without noticing anything. And so he blows up the dock and he blows up all sorts of stuff. And then he passes out. And when he wakes up the next day, Moira and Sean don't remember any of it. And the dock is all fixed. And uh, Scott says, oh, I don't – it was broken yesterday. I'm not going crazy. I know I've had my share of hallucinations in the past. Remember X Factor? <laughs> but last night was real and it frightens me. And Sean says, come on now. Chill out. Come now, Scott. Moira meant nothing by her remarks. She's just after me lucky charms. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, all this talk of lasers and explosions, it's unsettling. Why don't you and Sean go back in the house and, and we'll talk there? And so they walk off and Moira kind of looks off into the distance and the narration tells us that she's the mistress of Muir Island. She knows the history of her land and is proud of it. She knows of those holy men who came here in ancient days to discover the glories of God in the barren places of the earth. But as she stands on the western shore of her island in the North Sea, Moira McTaggart communes with something far, far different than Providence, and it may be her ruin. So it's an interesting uh, opening, which doesn't give you really any sense of what this story is going to be about. So I guess in no, that it's regard, a, it's, it's... It's a good start. Yeah. It could go anywhere. And I'm not I, saying I, that, I like the, it. that what I've read is bad by any means. I'm just saying that the context, this context... Uh, wasn't there when I read what I have. Um, and I can't tell you whether or not it makes sense or not. Okay. Because there's a couple more parts in between. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there you go. I, I imagine by the time I get to the part that you're talking about, which I haven't read and I don't know what you're talking about, but I'll probably hate this story by then. <laughs> I, this is how all these Marvel <laughs> comic stories go. Is like I like them at first and then they just get kind of slow and annoying. And then they end. But somewhere in there, I just I throw up my hands and I'm like, I don't get this. <laughs> what is happening? Um, at the <laughs> end of this Marvel Comics Presents, you do get what looks to be a Barry Windsor Smith uh, Wolverine portrait. Yeah? Yeah, the very last page. Oh, uh, okay. I don't have that in mind, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So that's. Oh, wait, the Willie, the Willie Lumpkin thing? No, it's after that. Oh, that, that's John Byrne. Yeah, I tried to read the Willie Lumpkin thing, and then I was like, I don't know who Willie Lumpkin is. It's the uh, Fantastic Four's mailman. Apparently he dies in this issue, but not really. Oh, okay. I don't know. Spoilers. <laughs> well, sorry. <laughs> I I don't know because like they show like a gravestone, but then like the very last panel is him being like, get off my lawn or something. So, oh, okay. It was very confusing. And then I was like, is this Stan Lee's friend and he's paying like some weird homage to him? I want to say that Stan Lee, remember when in Iron Man or uh, Captain America Civil War, when Stan Lee was the, the male person who or he's like the UPS guy and he's like, Tony Stank, where's Tony Stank? Oh, do you think that's like a Willie Lumpkin callback? I wonder. It could be. Then again, I wonder if, because uh, there were two Fantastic Four movies. I wonder if, I know he plays the, isn't he like the priest in one of them or the... Uh, Oh God! The, the the marriage officiate. I I did and then watch. Maybe he's maybe he's Willie Lumpkin in the other one. I can't remember. I did watch both of those movies, and other than being disappointed that they didn't actually show a Galactus, I was, you know, <laughs> most of it's all forgettable to me. I liked the first one, but only in the sense that I remember that I liked it. I couldn't tell you anything about it. 
I recall liking the second one more than the first one, uh, but I couldn't tell you why. I can tell you that the reason I liked the first one was because it reminded me of the first 10 issues of the Fantastic Four, which were just silly and irreverent and fun. Did you watch the Fantastic Four remake? I did. Was it, I did not. Was it any good? No. no. It couldn't have been good. <laughs> it was not very good. Uh, in the end, it turns into a kind of a horror movie, so that was interesting. Hmm. Uh, so like the last maybe... I mean, I wouldn't even, okay. So it's not even the last 20 minutes. It's like, it's like 10 minutes before the last 20 minutes. It turns into this weird horror movie with like, well, are you going to see it? Should I just spoil it? Uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm not, I don't care. I'll probably forget. There's like, there's like the zombie Dr. Doom walking through the halls and just like killing people left and right. And it was, that part's really creepy and, and horrific. And it turns into this kind of horror movie thing. And then it turns into a big slugfest and it's, it becomes dumb. Hmm. Ah, well, you just saved me like an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that, that wraps it up. That's all we got. All right. We did it. Yay, we did it. Um, well, good. Until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed. Danger Room.